The following podcast is brought to you by Babe Media. I'm Emma Clark. And I'm Kelsey Burdett. You know those people you follow that just seem to get it? They have the Instagram content that you actually watch. They own the brands that you just can't stop buying from. And they tell the stories you actually remember. The kinds of people that leave you wondering, how do they do that? Well, we follow them too. And we have the exact same question. Join us as we interview the people that leave us thinking, oh, they get it. Hi, everybody. On this week's episode of They Get It, we had a really fun and delicious conversation with Luann, the founder of Ruru Baked. And you will hear us say, full disclosure, you will hear us say Ruru Bakes. (laughs) And Luann just kept going like a champ. She didn't even call me out, even though that was probably annoying. So bless you. Listen, we had ice cream on the brain. It's not our fault. Sunday morning. (laughs) It's Ruru Baked. With a D, Ruru Baked. And if you're in Toronto, you probably already know them. For everyone that doesn't know them or hasn't gotten a chance to try their ice cream yet, they are a custard-based ice cream shop. Okay, so they pull from a lot of Asian-inspired flavors. They are killing the ice cream game here in Toronto right now. It was really interesting. They've done collabs massive collabs with the likes of Adidas when they dropped their app. Ruru Baked was part of that drop and part of their big press release, which is really cool. And she has just done such a good job, Luann, of pivoting from being a drop model to then an in-store pickup model to a bit of both. And I'm really excited because in this mini series, we take it there. We cover everything from the founder's story in this first segment. Later in the week, you'll hear about being a solo entrepreneur, kind of the ups and downs, pros and cons of that model. And then we'll round out this week's content with the drop model, the ins and outs, the behind the scenes. And I will say for anyone considering getting into the food and beverage space, or even considering the drop model as a business model, there are a ton of tactical tips in these three segments. So you're going to want to pay attention. Absolutely. Luann is a killer. And just to give you some more insight, during the last year, they were selling out in two minutes with their drop model of their ice cream. Like it's really cool what they've done. And Luann's background, she used to run a marketing agency. So she's really good with the marketing and branding side of things. And we talk about how that ties in no matter what industry you're in um, with creating a brand that gets that hype. So yeah, lots of good stuff. I think we should just get into it. Let's do it. All right, so it is time for our brand of the week that we're loving. This one won't be a surprise because we did have one of the founders on the podcast. It is Three Ships. So they are uncomplicated skincare backed by natural ingredients and real science. If you're a skincare junkie or you've got someone on your holiday wish list that's a skincare junkie, they have an All Is Calm holiday kit that they just came out with. So it has some of their best-selling products. It has a free hand-poured candle. It's 25% off as it would be purchasing all these pieces separately, and you can use our code they get it 20 for 20% off. 
Welcome back to another episode. Today we have Luann Ronquillo with us. She is the founder of Ruru Bakes based here in Toronto. Luann, thank you so much for being here. We're excited to chat with you. Me too. Thanks for having me. Of course. So before we dive in, as we always do, give us the background. What is Ruru Bakes? How did it get started? So Ruru Baked is uh, custard ice creams and baked goods. We started in end of 2016, beginning of 2017. It actually just started out as like a weird hobby passion project that I was just doing on the side from my regular job. Something that I wanted to do to like be a little bit creative because my job at the time wasn't creative at all. What was the job? I was doing luxury villa sales, like rentals. Oh, oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. Not even close to related. Not not at all. There was a point in my life where I wanted to be a travel agent. My mom was a travel agent. I love traveling. So I was like, what better way to travel than to be a travel agent? And so I found this job doing luxury villa sales, just rentals. And so, yeah, we would book rentals for many different types of people all around the world. And a big perk of the job was that I'd be able to go to the villas and check them out. And that way I can sell them better. Yeah. (laughs) Very glamorous lifestyle, Um, but also very stressful. And I really started hating it at the So yeah, I started Ruru Baked as this creative side hustle, sort of an outlet for myself. And initially I was going to do pies and ice cream as a subscription service. So people could subscribe and I would deliver pies and ice cream, like a pairing every month. Okay. Hang on, hang on. Because that's a pretty big um, jump from what you were doing to your passion project. Mm -hmm. How did you decide that that was going to be the passion project? How did you get into pastries and ice cream in the first place? Well, I went to school for pastry. So I was in uh, school for baking and pastry arts. And then I only did that in the industry for a few years and realized that, you know, you really have to like start from the bottom. Typically you're working really low paying jobs. You're not making any benefits, evenings and weekends, holidays. And I was like, I don't really like this very much. And the environments can be a little bit toxic. So that's kind of how I got into pastries. And then when I decided to start Ruru Baked, it was very random, like, I was watching a Chef's Table with my best friend. Oh, I love that show. It's so, so good. It's like so cinematic. Yeah, um, it really is. Yeah. So they were making ice cream and my friend said, asked me if I knew how to make ice cream. And I did, but I never did it. I had an ice cream maker at home and I was actually thinking about throwing it out. So I was like, you know what? I'll make one last batch of ice cream. I probably had only made three batches of ice cream in this machine. (laughs) So I was like, one batch and then then I'll throw this thing out. So I made a batch of ice cream. It was pandan and candied walnuts and it turned out really good. And I was like, oh, I'm going to try something else. So then I started experimenting and, you know, my husband was eating it and he was really liking it. And then I was giving it to friends and they were really liking it. So then people were like, you should sell this stuff. So then I invested in my first ice cream machine that was a lot better than the one I was using. So mm-hmm. then I spent $500 on a countertop machine that you could churn batch after batch, one liter at a time. And that was like a huge investment for me. It took me like a month and a half to decide if I should invest $500 into this machine. But yeah, I'm glad I did. So mm-hmm. from there, I, I started making the ice cream and the baked goods. And I thought the baked goods was going to be the thing because I was a pastry chef. Like ice cream was just this thing on the side, like an accompaniment. But the ice cream is what became really popular and what sort of took off. So then I decided to 
obviously listen to my customers and move mm-hmm. in the direction instead. Ice cream was a really good product as well because I, you can make it and store it. And mm-hmm. Oh, that's a really good point. Shelf life. Whereas baked goods, you make it and you have to sell it that day. Yeah. Right? So that day, it's waste. So I'm imagining, okay, you get the idea to open up this business. There's actually a, a sizable gap between that and having enough customers and enough customer feedback to be able to pivot. What did the business look like at that stage? It was still really small. At that stage, I was doing uh, home deliveries. It was kind of like a very beta ghost kitchen, Mm -hmm. except I was doing the deliveries myself. So I would take orders throughout the week and then I would make whatever was ordered so that I didn't have a lot of waste or like have a lot of inventory stocked up. And then I would deliver Saturdays. So that's what it looked like at that point. Still very small. I was working out of a friend's studio apartment. So what was the journey like from starting this out? I'm assuming you were still working your full-time job. When did it shift and you said, okay, I'm going to take this full-time? Beginning of the pandemic. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. So I went from the studio apartment to a small kitchen in the back of a coffee shop. I went from the $500 machine to a $10,000 machine. And then I was still doing all of that on the side. So I had moved from the villa company as well to being a partner at a social media content creation agency. So everything was still a side hustle until I would say March of 2020. I'd always wanted to take it on full time, but I was always very scared to. Fear definitely held me back a lot, you know, because it wasn't that busy. Like we were doing some cool collabs here and there. But when I did pop-ups, it was pretty slow. Like sometimes it would be busy, but usually I would just be sitting around like on my phone playing games and stuff. Um, And so I was like, I don't know if this is a viable business, but then the pandemic hit and the agency wasn't doing well. So we had to shut the agency down right before the pandemic hit, which was kind of perfect timing. And then I was like, okay, well, the only other thing I have right now is Rubik. So I might Mm -hmm. as well try and figure out how to make this work. Wow. That sense of like, you just had to pull the trigger and you had to get over that fear. Was it just because of the situation or were there certain things that you found help you push past that fear? I think it was mostly the situation. I'm like really risk averse. Like I'm not good with taking risks. And so I'll only do something if I feel like I have to. (laughs) And at the time I was like, okay, well, I'm not making any money because we don't have the agency anymore. And it was still sort of running, but we weren't paying ourselves because we weren't making any money. And because of the pandemic at at the beginning, there was no financial aid at that time for self-employed people. I don't know if you guys remember that. It was like, there was financial aid. If you got laid off, you can do EI, but there was no CERB at the time. So I was like, oh my God, I got to figure something out. I'm not going to get a job. Like who's going to hire me right now? Everyone's getting let go. So yeah, it was, I was just like, I have to do this or else I'm not going to have any other way to make money. I'm going to have to like, okay, but for Uber or something. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. But you also have to think like, yeah, you weren't making any money through the agency. It was also March in Canada. Yeah. Like how many people are buying ice cream in the middle of a pandemic (laughs) when they can't even leave their houses? Like that's tough going too. What was that transition like once you did decide to take it full time? So it was really difficult because I was like, exactly what you're saying. Like, who's going to buy ice cream right now? How am I going to get it to people? No one can leave their houses. So should I do delivery again? And so that's what I decided to do. I was like, well, I've done delivery before. I know how to do that. So I I did delivery. And then 
I was like, okay, this could work. And then I asked the coffee shop, can I do pickups from here? And she was like, absolutely do whatever you need to do. The coffee shop had been closed for like three months because of the pandemic. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll make like 300 pints a month. That's, you know, 300 times 12 is a little over $3,000. After my expenses, maybe I'll be able to take home 2000 bucks, which isn't a lot for Toronto living. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was like, I could live off of that. And so I made 300 pints over the course of like two to three weeks. And then I made the announcement that we were going to start selling pints again. And it was the perfect mixture of people only being able to buy food at the time, like you couldn't wow. do anything else. Yeah. And everyone was trying to support local. Mm-hmm. So because so many people were using Uber Eats and the only thing that could be open was restaurants, there was this surge of consumer behavior where no one wanted to use Uber because they found out that Uber takes 30% and then mm-hmm. the restaurants left with nothing. And so if you actually think about Profit margins, most restaurants run at like a 6% profit margin, which is insane. Uh, Thankfully, we run at a higher profit margin than that. But people really wanted to just skip Uber. Initially, we wanted to be on Uber because we thought it's more accessible for people that are either afraid to leave their house or are more immune compromised. And so we'll offer delivery. But then people were like, how about you do some on Uber and then some pre-order and we'll pick it up. So then I did that and we sold out of the pre-order within like 10 minutes. Wow. And then, so then my husband and I were like, should we just put the rest of it on pre-order? Like, it, it's funny when I look back at my, our Instagram, within that week, we changed the process like 10 times. And I even wrote a post. I was like, you're probably sick of seeing all of these changes, but we're just going to pre-order pickup. Even if we were to be on Uber, you can't track inventory. So you can't say we have 10 pints of this and 10 pints Mm. of this. So if you sell out, you just have to start canceling orders. And I was like, oh, this is going to be mayhem. That's a terrible experience. So then we just did everything on pre-order. And then that's how the drops came to be. It just, yeah, it was kind of like something that we just had to do because of the way that our customers were shopping with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So fast forward to today, I guess it's about... 18 months, give or take later. Mm-hmm. What does Ruru Baked look like today? So now we're a full-on store. Our customers are amazing and they basically forced us to open a shop. They were like, you need, to see that. you need more ice cream. Yeah. So it made sense to get a shop. I had spoken to a few different experts in the field of, of restaurants and scaling. And at first we thought maybe we would just get a ghost kitchen, maybe back off of a restaurant who was struggling a little bit and we could pay them rent and help them out and use their kitchen. But our equipment requirements are a bit complicated. And so we couldn't do that. Right. The next option was to open a shop. So now Uber Baked is a full-on store. We do scoops, we sell pints, we do Uber Eats delivery. How you doing? We do baked goods. So yeah, it's fun. We love to see that. Honestly, for somebody who says that they're risk averse, and I'm sure you are, you do a really good job of taking in all of the information and making the best of it really quickly. And I feel like that is the, like resilience basically is what that comes down to. The number one trait to people who are successful, regardless of market and environmental conditions. That's massive. Yeah. I mean, probably one of the things I'm I am best at is sussing out like customer feedback yeah, and then being able to pivot and change based on that feedback. Sometimes someone will give a piece of feedback and I'm like, ah, oh, 
that's annoying. You know, like, like I'm not even going to listen to that. That's just one person. And then it'll just fester. I'll, it'll be oh, yeah. on for so long. And I'm like, oh, I got to do something about it. I can't just like, let it be a complaint. Oh, yeah. I love that you think that way. Actually, this this is the most perfect segue in the world. Now we're going to move into our quick hit questions. So we'll ask the question, whatever pops into your mind, that's what we want you to share with us. Our first question is, what trait do you most attribute to your success? Probably resiliency. Yeah. <laughs> and just, yeah, being able to listen to what's going wrong and fixing it as fast mm-hmm. as I can. It sounds like, yeah, so much of your success has been your ability to pivot. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Next question. What gives you energy? Honestly, my team, probably. Your team. Yeah. Like before, when I was working solo, I think what gave me energy was just having to do stuff. Yeah. And now because I have a team that helps me do things, nothing will really crash and burn. But being around them gives me energy. And knowing that I need to basically support them, like, I help them pay their bills. And so that gives me energy to like go out and make sure that I'm doing my best for them. Yeah, I love that answer. Advice for your younger self. Don't be so risk averse. (laughs) Take more risks. Don't be so afraid and just do things if you want to. And what's the worst that can happen has always been my motto. Even though I am risk averse, I am also very like, well, I'm not going to die. And if everything fails what did I learn? That's going to be the biggest thing. And so I wish I would have been more like that when I was younger, but also at the same time, things are going to happen when they happen and that's okay. That's like the journey of it all. Can Mm -hmm. I ask a follow-up there? What do you think changed when you went from being risk averse and now you think resilience is your number one trait that contributes to your success? Where did that shift happen from being almost like paralyzed by the risk aversion to like leaning into it? Yeah, I don't know. I've always been an optimist, but sort of pivoted from being like, everything will be okay. Like, I don't have to do that thing right now to being like, I should just do the thing now and everything will still be okay. Mm -hmm. But I think Mm -hmm. the more you do things that feel risky or that you're afraid of, and then you realize that it wasn't scary to begin with, you kind of just continue moving in that direction. You get like more brave as you go, I guess. Totally. Like building momentum. Once you push yourself once, it becomes easier to then do that again. Yeah. I think it's easy to get paralyzed if you're just in your head of like, okay, what could happen? You're just speculating. But then Mm -hmm. once you actually go for it and you find out that it's okay, you're like, oh, okay, I can do that again. Yeah. I love that. Like it was a little bit of discomfort for a lot of gain. Yeah. Love that. Oh, good. Okay. (laughs) Next question. What's the last book you read? The last book I read was Dune. That's Dune the movie? Yeah. (laughs) It just came out? Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I used to be really into nonfiction. So like reading a lot of like self-help business books. And then I think after consuming that type of content a lot, I was just like, oh, I need some fiction. Yeah. I want to get more into fiction. Like the odd time I dive into a fiction book and I just get sucked in. It's the best feeling. You're just, the whole world around you is like yeah gone and you're just sucked into the story it's so good I also feel like from a storytelling perspective you learn so much just by hearing other people tell stories in their own voices in their own ways that's not something you necessarily get in a lot of nonfiction books no it's not and it's just a fun way to escape like you said I usually go into the kitchen a couple hours before everyone else does and I just put my airpods in and like listen to a fiction audiobook and work at the same time and smart it's just chill yeah I love that 
Love it. What's a brand other than your own that you're loving right now? A brand other than my own that I'm loving right now. Tough one. There's so many. Probably Makeway. They're actually a local brand. I don't know if you guys know them. We know Makeway. Yes. So I just love what they're doing for the local sneaker community for women. They're also like hitting so many of their goals, which is really inspiring. It's really cool. I always complain about how women's streetwear is not as comparable to men's streetwear. Like I always just wear men's stuff. You know, you just get the men's colorway. And so I think it's really cool what they're doing. Yes. Actually, that was another recommendation that Mary gave us for someone to have on the podcast. So maybe they'll be on soon. And when me and Kelsey were talking about it, I said the same thing. I was like, it's really cool to see women in streetwear and they carry like amazing product. And I just want to hear how they've done all of it. So yeah, yeah, great one. It's, it's crazy. We have like Spencer Badu, Mary, like there's so many great brands in Toronto alone that are kind of like breaking barriers and doing fun things. And yeah, it's a great hub to be a part of. It is. Honestly, we've been so inspired by all the Toronto entrepreneurs we've met and everyone's so friendly and wants to support each other. Like it's just a really good vibe overall. It is. Yeah. I truly think that's why we still have a podcast. It's the Toronto <laughs> network showing up for us. And I'm not joking. Like that's so yeah. serious. And everyone's so vulnerable and willing to connect us with everyone they know. And everyone, like you said, everyone's just down to help. Okay. Next question. What's one thing you don't understand? I don't understand people. This is going to make me sound bad, I think, but I don't understand people who complain. We get a lot of like weird customer complaints about weird things. And I'm just like, would you contact Nike about this? Like, not that we're at Nike level, but I think people, when you're a small business, they expect a higher level of communication. Like they want you to give into their request more so than mm-hmm. the Nike corporation. Cause I think they feel like they have more power, but a lot of this stuff is like kind of out of our control or yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, so mm-hmm. I definitely don't understand some customer behaviors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can imagine, especially these days, I feel like everyone's a little on edge, so there's no legal room. Yeah. And a lot of people just have more time on their hands to, (laughs) you know, that's what goes through my mind. I'm like, how how do you have the time to like make this complaint or care about this? Like, don't you have other things to do? Yeah, I do. No, they don't. People like cared about some like certain things, but yeah, we, it's definitely gotten better. Obviously we worked out a lot of kinks, but um, Yeah. Yeah. The type of messages we get are sometimes really insane. (laughs) I want to ask, but I'm not going to go there. Our last question to round out our quick hit series is who do you think gets it? Bobby Hundreds. Do you know who Bobby Hundreds is? Ooh, good one. Yeah. Yeah. He, I read his book, This Is Not a T-Shirt. I think it's what it's called. He gets it. The Hundreds is probably not a super relevant brand anymore in terms of like streetwear culture and their designs and stuff, but He's really in tune with what's going on in his market specifically and in the world, even like politically. He's a very insightful guy and he's always been community over commerce, like people over product. And I think that's really cool. I remember in his book, he told this story about there's this one skater kid that used to come around to the shop all the time and uh, just hang out. And he was like, look, if you continue skating and following your dreams, we'll just give you free clothes and we'll sponsor you. And so it kind of like kept this kid on the right track. I think he ended up passing away, but um, I've always found that really inspiring. And I follow him on Twitter and stuff. And I think he he really does just get it. Ah, oh, good one. 
Yeah. He was the hundreds were one of our like marquee early, early Shopify customers. And we did a ton of content marketing around oh, their brand really? because he was such a killer storyteller. And I think yes. that's because he's so people-centric. He just understood the human element to it and therefore he could communicate in a way that resonated with people. He's yeah. a really powerful business mind, let alone you know all the other amazing attributes that you just mentioned. He is an amazing communicator. The way that he writes his own captions and everything, I'm like, wow, you're so eloquent. So cool, that's a good one. We love to hear it. Honestly, she's done a lot in not that much time, which is really impressive. But I think even more impressive than that is the whole idea of building resiliency. A lot of people think you're either risk averse or you're not, and that's kind of a trait you're born with. But I think what Luann highlighted for us is something that so many people should think about after this episode, literally pause the podcast app and think about what it means to actually build the muscle of trusting yourself to figure it out, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't yeah. mean you have all the answers. It doesn't mean that life goes perfectly. All it means is that you trust yourself to figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. And if I can bring a psych perspective to this, a lot of you know I'm doing my master's in psych right now. And one thing they talk about with phobias and a way to help clients overcome phobias is literally just exposure therapy, getting yeah. out there and doing it and realizing it's not that scary. And that goes for building resilience as well. Like a phobia doesn't have to be spiders or heights. It can be taking a risk and putting yourself out there. And the best way to get comfortable doing that is to just start doing it and realizing mm -hmm. the world doesn't end and you did yeah. it. And that's what builds that muscle to keep doing it. So yeah, just go for it. What's the worst that could happen? We, we love a psych moment. Oh, there you go. We can keep them coming. I got lots. So in a couple of days, we're going to release our next episode with Luann and we're talking all about solo entrepreneurship. So she's done both. She's founded a company with her best friend. She started Ruru Baked Solo um, and she yeah. talks about the pros and cons, her experience and some tips for solo entrepreneurs. So stay tuned for that in a couple of days and check out our website. It'll be linked in our show notes. We've got lots of good gift guides there. We've got lots of good content for entrepreneurs. It'll help you run your business. So check that out and we'll see you in a few days. See you then.